0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode twenty-six of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host Forbes, here with my co-host Peter Barachini, and Peter of Hockey in the Books. Uh, lots to talk about, as always. But let's start it off with, "How are you today?" Doing good, man. Doing good. Um, Like you said, big
1: week in sports. Super Bowl's coming up tomorrow. We're recording on Saturday. So, I mean, if you want to get your prediction right in right now so we can try and see who's right and who's wrong about next week, I'm all for it. But I'm just excited. It's different this time around because I usually go to a bar and watch it with my friends. But we decided, you know what, Zoom call, grab the beers, drink online, watch the game, have a good time. It's the only thing you can do right now, right? So I'm 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 excited to see how things are going to work out. Um, I mean it's one of the biggest sports spectacle of the year, right? So let's see let's see it happen. Mahomes versus Brady. This is a matchup that everyone's been
0: talking about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It should be a great game tomorrow. Uh, it's almost like uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's your Yoda versus your Luke Skywalker. Your 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 Jedi versus your protege. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch. I think it's going to be a shootout if you're into betting. Uh, yeah. I would take the over in this one. I think it's going to be an absolute, uh, you know, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. It's going to be exciting to watch. But, yeah, great to see. Um, I'm being told that Tampa is not allowed to set off the cannons because they want to still make the <laughs> Super Bowl a neutral... Um, Environment neutral area I guess so yeah. even though they're in Tampa Bay it could not be more I I, I don't know I, I they're trying to find ways to make it so that they don't feel like the home team but uh, I I do believe they're going to feel like the home team especially with fans in the stands um, we we've seen the NFL kind of do it uh, all season long um, but yeah it should be exciting um, for me this weekend's big it's my uh, fifth year wedding anniversary with my wife today again Ooh. we're recording on Saturday so we are, we are uh, going to have a nice uh, evening to ourselves and uh, obviously some Saturday hockey going on and the Leafs look to continue their hottest start since 1993-94 when they started 10-1 and through their first 11 games. First of all,
1: congrats on your anniversary. Um, Thank you. Um, again, probably no better way to spend an anniversary than watching hockey, right? I mean, probably not what you had in mind, but you know what, with everything going on... Um, yeah, enjoy, enjoy enjoy the night. Simple as that. Uh, all the best to you and the wife. Um, Absolutely. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, hot star for the least right now. Um, speaking of hot, um, wouldn't be... I know we're a hockey podcast. I know we deal with hockey, but congrats to Fred Van Fleet with the major, major accomplishments 54 points I believe he broke he broke DeMar DeRozan's record for points in a game by a Raptor unbelievable game I watched that and wow 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 wow
0: also set the all-time record for um, most points by an undrafted player in NBA history yes so as as Freddie V would say um bet on yourself bet on yourself because this guy not only owns the franchise record um for points by a player he also owns an nba record for mm-hmm. most points by an undrafted player a guy who yeah. never no team gave him the the benefit of the doubt at the draft the raptors brought him in and man look what he's done he's a he's a cha- he's a nba champion and now he's yeah. a nba record holder yeah 17
1: for 23 for field goals nine for nine for three throws and 11 from for 14 from three-point range Congrats, Fred. I mean, Toronto loved it. The fans loved it. Simple as that. What a game. And yeah, I I just thought we should, you know, talk about that briefly because that was a major accomplishment for him. And your jersey will soon have a home in my closet. <laughs> I should start I should start thinking about getting uh Fred Van Vliet one to go with my Kyle Lowry
0: one now. So There you go. There you go. <laughs> Like we mentioned early to start the show, um, lots of news to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. We did chat a little bit last week about uh, Tony D'Angelo, and uh, I want to get right into that because what a saga this is. Um, yeah. You know, it's just uh, I don't know what happens next for this guy. There's a lot of a lot of discussion online, especially from uh, TSN's Darren Drager, that there is trade interest in Tony D'Angelo. Um, obviously, we don't have the full extent of what happened uh, in New York. Mm -hmm. But the word is, is he did have a scuffle with, uh, Georgiev following the game, um, where they lost. And a lot of the blame he was putting on Georgiev's shoulders. Um, and that was kind of the final straw for him in, in, uh, New York and Jeff Gordon, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of let him know ahead of time that, you know, if if your name comes up with one more problem that, uh, you know, it's going to be, uh, you're, you're going to essentially be waived from the team. And, um, yeah, I mean Tony D'Angelo. He's kind of had issues at every stop. Um, I know. I know uh, he didn't. He didn't really fit in well in Arizona. He didn't. Uh, he didn't fit in uh, in in other other areas. And and it seemed like he got his feet under him uh, in New York and kind of changed his tone a little bit. But again, that's uh, all of a sudden. That's you know out the window and he's 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 sitting at home not doing anything uh and uh he'll be awaiting some sort of trade or some sort of move by the new york rangers
1: yeah like you said this is a major major saga right now like this is just issue after issue after issue and it just continued to pile up and i think this i mean it was the boiling point it was the point where it's just like you know what enough is enough it was the final straw and like you said there's so many stories going on about what happened in regards to the incident there's rumors that you know um a teammate came into uh, Gorgiev, uh defense threw a punch at um at d'angelo it's again it was rumored that it was chris Kreider. That came into his defense. Again, just a rumor. Um, But yeah, I mean, this. You're looking to acquire him, right? You know his past. You know his history, what he said, what he's done. I would not want that kind of baggage on my team. I don't want that issue lingering over us. And Tampa Bay drafted Tony D'Angelo. And I believe it was uh, Steve Iserman hoped that maybe he could learn from his mistakes at one point. He didn't. And you know what? We've seen what's going on with him right now. The social media posts, his past history of, like, you know, inappropriate comments, ra- uh, whether it was racist or homophobic. Um, the Rangers gave him a chance, but they gave him one too many. This His kind of behavior and the way that he acts, the way that he talks – has no place in hockey anymore. I mean, he shouldn't have had in the first place, and I don't know why teams are still, you know, willing to give him that chance. He's a liability on the ice defensively, and he's in major liability off the ice with his issues.
0: Yeah, I mean, even even when he played in the OHL for Sarnia and Sault Ste. Marie, like there was a lot of issues back then as yeah. well, where he just he was a problem from the get go and. And I understand trying to give give a kid a chance and give a kid an opportunity, but at a certain point, you got to kind of just you know wash your hands of uh, of that kind of uh, issue and 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 that kind of problem and and kind of move on from it. And I think the Rangers are doing that. Uh, it's it's a little too late to be honest. I think I think they gave him far too many opportunities, um, and he just continued to disappoint. And and we talked about it last week with the the, the possible burner account and all yeah. this. You know, baloney, and um, at at a certain point, you know, we we always say it: where there's smoke, there's fire. And if if he did in fact have a burner account, if he did in fact, you know, make comments and get into it with Georgiev after, where where's the team guy? Where's the team mentality? Yeah. At the end of the day, this is a team sport, and if 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 somebody's coming up to the, you know, to defend their their goaltender and Georgiev, that just shows you which side of the room that you're on. Mm-hmm. And I I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you put up 50, 60, 70 points as a defenseman. If you can't be a team guy, you're you're more of a distraction and a problem in the room than anything else. And that's why, I, I, like, when I saw the Darren Dreger tweet that there are a number of teams that are interested in in bringing D'Angelo in, it, it really, it, it shocked me. Um, yeah. I just wonder when teams are going to get it that this guy not only is a problem in the dressing room, not only is it a problem for for teams to to kind of bond and get along and whatever. You're talking about a guy who's openly talked about the COVID pandemic as being <clears throat> um, a hoax. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, y- you talk a lot about y- you know the, the the people that are I want to say conspiracy theorists, but I mean, this is a guy that's openly talked about that he's openly made racist and homophobic comments online and mm-hmm. you don't want to have that in today's game like why yeah. why even why even suggest bringing him in obviously yeah. he's a problem like the rangers aren't just going to waive a guy who's you know two months into a new two-year contract that's paying him you know over four million like you just i i, I don't know i just don't see how he fits into any sort of any sort of team
1: no, definitely,
0: and you know,
1: I, I like his his behavior has no place in hockey. I mean, I uh, said that said that before, and I'll say it again. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And you mentioned about like you know, the like player teammates hash it out every now and then. You know, no, but. This is not like, you know, they hash it out in terms of like, you know, you got to do this, this and that. But they're friends afterwards. You know, they come to understanding where, you know, their team, they got to stick together, play together and they got each other's backs. This was this was a fight like this was like obviously maybe only one punch or so but this was a major altercation that you can't turn back from. Again, players hash it out and they say what they need to say, but this is a physical altercation right now, and now. Players just had enough of his BS. Simple as that. And you mentioned the burner account. And when he, when, when the waiver news was made, the someone screen captured and the first one to say it was that burner account. It was like, no way, really? Like, I don't know if I should laugh or just give my head a shake because. You know, there, someone made that connection where they found the location of where the tweet came from and all that. But whatever, that's that's that. I mean, it's it's just enough is enough with him. And I don't know if you saw this, but after the Rangers recent game, after he was put on waivers. After their 4-2 victory against the Caps. It looked like Shesterkin and Panarin did a small reenactment of the incident. And this is I'm reading from something on Yahoo Sports from Thomas Williams, where he mentions that small reenactment. And there's a clip of Shesterkin and Panarin. I guess Shesterkin looks a little bit frightened and then Panarin looks like he's about to do something. But then they laugh it out about after. So even right now, they're mocking that incident and they're mocking him
0: yeah no and and that kind of just like I said, it kind of goes to show you which side of the room you're on and uh, yeah, it's um i I don't know, it's just kind of it's off it's it, it the whole situation's off and and I don't think any team should really bring him in to be honest, so no. um yeah i I think you know let let the guy kind of learn from his learn from his his uh, mistakes in in another way, but the NHL is not a place for him to do it. Yeah. And again, the fact that someone came or the
1: fact that someone stood up, whether it was uh, Georgiev, whether it was Kreider that stood up or threw the punch again, there's so many rumors going on with the story. We don't I I don't think we're going to figure out the full scope of things. We just know little bits and pieces. But whoever stood up, whoever did the part to say enough is enough. That's what you should do. That's what a leader should do. Don't take that crap anymore. Yeah. Team guy. Team guy. Absolutely.
0: Um, Talking about the Rangers, though, there was speculation that they were going to give permission for the Pittsburgh Penguins to talk to Chris Drury about possibly taking on the GM role in Pittsburgh. Um, That said, Drury made the decision to stay with the Rangers. He was also promoted to associate GM. Um, I think it's a good move by the Rangers. I think, you know, having a guy like that who's obviously been around the game for some time, uh, was a leader on the ice when he was there. Uh, just gives you, again, we talk about the, the team guy, the the leadership in in an organization that gives you that same mentality in your front office, and I think that's, in the end, that's what, what you kind of need as well.
1: Absolutely, and I'm kind of glad that, you know, he's been given this kind of role, because he's been an impactful player when he was playing every single day, um, especially with the Rangers. He was, like, lights out good, and now he's gotten a... Uh, a better role with the Rangers as uh, the associate GM right now. I mean, he's a great hockey mind. I mean, if he wants to, he's had success as a player and he's going to do it in the front office and he's going to help build a team where he feels like they got, a, they got something good going on. And he's going to be a major, he's going to be a major force in that regard to lose him to the Penguins. If that was the case, I mean, Again, you don't want to see people in your or, own organization go to another team where you feel like you could have success with them. But hey, if Jury left, it was a good opportunity for him. But he knows where his loyalty lies. He's been with the Rangers for quite some time right now, both as a player and in the front
0: office. So, good on him. Yeah, no, great opportunity for him, and and he'll just continue to grow. I think at some point, maybe we don't see him do as well as Joe Sakic has done with the the Aves and in you know stealing trades and. And absolutely, just uh, rocking the hockey world with some of the moves he's made. But uh, I I do see him in a, in the GM role at some point, and and maybe that's uh, following up Jeff Gordon in uh, in um, New York, but maybe it's it's somewhere else. And and this is just a, a better opportunity for him to kind of learn for the for the time being. So absolutely, um, GMS. Let's talk about Team Canada for the twenty twenty two Beijing Olympics. Never um,
1: thought we would talk Olympic hockey again.
0: Yeah, there's still still cool. a lot to obviously work out and see where the world's at, and we'll get into our our day our weekly COVID segment in a little bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, Doug Armstrong uh, named GM of Canada for the 2022 Beijing Olympics. Mm-hmm. He comes with a incredible team of minds, um, including guys like Ken Hall and Roberto Luongo. Um, yes, that Roberto Luongo. Lou. Um, just, uh, just a whole whole group of uh, great hockey minds that are going to be joining. him. Ron Francis will be there. John, or Don Sweeney and Scott Salmon will also be part of the management team. Uh, worth noting, uh, Doug Armstrong did say that it's going to be a young team, and he's looking <clears throat> like age will not play a role in how they decide to pick their team. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for some of these young guys. A guy like, you know, our own Mitch Marner in Toronto um to to really make an impression and possibly earn a spot on the the olympic squad yeah i mean all-star cast of a management team right there
1: i mean i don't i mean we've had great management success in the past but this is like a new level this is these are guys that like have seen the game up close and personal right now and how these young players are playing right now so yeah they're going to put forth the best team no matter what um the fact that, you know, it's going to be a younger team, I'm all for it. I mean, some of the older players, I mean, I guess, obviously, you're probably going to still have Cindy Crosby in there, who's still going to be one of the veterans on the team. Maybe Bergeron and Marshawn um, could probably make that team as well. But you know what? Like you said, a lot of great talent, obviously, McKinnon, Marner. Um, I don't know. There's some guy named Connor McDavid out there. He's pretty good, I guess. I guess he may be yeah, mediocre,
0: team. mediocre. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, this is just a solid team up front and on the back end. I mean, you got Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, very mobile guys. And I think that, you know, honestly, I would love to see that pair. as like Canada's top pair because Theodore has been lights out as a two way guy. Petrangelo, we know how well he can lead and hold himself uh, to that standard of being highly representative for Canada and putting his best foot forward internationally. And yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this team plays out and who makes the roster. Cause there's just so many, there's so much versatility on this team. Everybody can play in all situations. Everyone is young. Everybody can adapt to, I know that he said that centers may have to go to wing and adapt. We've seen that multiple times where centers have gone on the wing and, uh, and how his change position, whether it was in 2004 with the World Cup of Hockey, the recent World Cup of Hockey, other Olympics, we've seen center. It's easier to go from center to wing than it is possibly from wing to center because it's it's I don't know. I just, I've, I've seen it that way. That's just my take. Um, but yeah, this is I'm really looking forward to seeing not only who's good, just going to be on the camp roster, but who's going to make the team? Because not just for Canada, but for U.S., Sweden, Russia, I'm I, I'm excited. Like, we haven't talked to Olympic hockey in quite some time right now. And this is really getting my juices going right now. I, like, the thought process, who's going to be on the outside looking in. This is exciting.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you mentioned it's been a while since we've talked Olympic hockey. Shout out to the WIHF for finally figuring out that they need NHL players to make the Olympics legitimate for for when it comes to hockey. Yeah. Uh because last Olympics, man, like it, yeah, it was fun to watch, fun to see some some I I don't want to say amateurs, but guys like Vol- Voltech Volsky playing for for Canada like um obviously that was fun to watch, but at the same time, you want to see the best on best. This is ta- you're you're talking about a best on best tournament. Um not, you know, third string versus third string. It just yeah. doesn't work that way. So. Yeah, it's,
1: it wasn't even like, yeah, like you just mentioned Wojciech you like they had players who played in the NHL. Yeah, but right now, yeah, I mean, they, a lot of great players to play in the NHL, but let's face it, that's not even a B team, let alone maybe even a C team. I mean, you look at the players that Canada can't produce, they're going to be further down that depth chart and maybe like, you know, I don't want to say it, but that's going to be like a D team, like a D squad. You know? I was going to
0: say your your NI team, you know like on report cards how you got the needs improvement. I think yes. that's probably what the team we're looking at.
1: Yes. And it's not to say that they're bad. Like yeah, obviously they wanted to put the best team forward. They got the best players playing overseas. Great. But now it's best on best. Everybody's going to get their chance and uh, uh, honestly, who wouldn't want to see this McDavid Matthews matchup Crosby and Ovechkin again you know this is this is these are the rivalries that we talked in the NHL that we want to see internationally right now and this is going to be amazing
0: oh absolutely yeah no it's going to be great and uh, obviously we'll keep an eye on that moving forward as uh, we get through this 2021 and and uh, see where this pandemic takes us yeah Um, with that that's our intro to COVID weekly um, (laughs) where we like to discuss how COVID has affected our game Um, but no, seriously, on a a more serious note, games uh, seem to be constantly being postponed, constantly being canceled. Um, you know, I, I did want to wait and get into it later, but the NWHL actually suspended their Isabel cup Mm -hmm. tournament in Lake Placid. Uh, they were in a, a bubble so that, that hurts them as well. You know, the Toronto six had their first shutout, were off to a hell of a start in their inaugural season. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's unfortunate for them. Obviously, we wanted to see the women continue to play their game and, and grow the game. And they, they seem to get sponsorship after sponsorship after partner after partner. So it just, it really, really hurt them, I think, in, in a sense. Um, and, and jumping back to the NHL, of course, um, you know, obviously suspended games, Um. The, we're, they're trying to get rapid testing into arenas. Obviously, we've seen it in Toronto. Uh, that that's been an addition over the last week. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody coming into the arena will be receiving rapid testing, uh, which is it, it's great. Uh, that being said, there are a number of teams that have to, you know, kind of put their put their season on hold for the time being, with with what's going on, and it's becoming more and more of an issue. Um, but yeah, you're talking about Vegas, New Jersey, Buffalo, Minnesota. They're all kind of mm-hmm. shutting their seasons down. the av Avalanche just uh, shut theirs down as well. Um, they become the fifth team that will have to postpone their season. Um, <coughs> but a uh, lot of a lot of heat coming out of Buffalo, uh, you know, against the NHL and how they handled uh, the New Jersey situation and and playing that game.
1: Yeah. Very similar to what happened yesterday with the Toronto Raptors and the Brooklyn Nets, where Kevin Durant, it was reported that he came in contact with somebody where, you know, a test was inconclusive. He was allowed into the game, but then was benched and then had to be taken out following that person that he came in contact with ended up with a positive test. So they had to take him out of the game. So right now, that's a really dicey situation where you think that, you know, oh, uh, the person that he came in contact with, is inconclusive. We shouldn't let him play. Okay, we'll let him play and then take him out again after the positive test came back. That's too little, too late because now he's come in contact with not only his teammates, but the opposing team and the Raptors right now. So now they got to be on high alert and being extra cautious of what they do right now. And they want to do an abundance of caution. And I and um, James Harden was very vocal about this after the game. That if it was an abundance of caution, why didn't they act to it right away? I mean, James Harden specifically came out and said that game should have been postponed. And now if that like certain situations right now in the NHL, if there are games that need to be postponed, postpone them. Don't let it, don't let it affect everybody else. Cause now it's just, it's a growing problem. And especially that bubble right there, I believe that's like the central division or in the East division as well. Those areas right now, they have like the highest amount of like cases right now in ter- and postponements. So it's really, really concerning right now that there needs to be more transparency and they need to be more coherent with the fact that hey you have even if it's inconclusive or you're waiting on a test don't do it because now you're just going to risk everything
0: yeah it's about diligency right like be on top even if there's you know you're suspected of coming in contact with somebody and and for me like the Kevin Durant situation I'm curious as to who he came in contact with I mean Mm -hmm. if it's somebody outside of you know kind of what the protocols they're supposed to be taking it makes me question more like how serious are you taking this this uh this pandemic but that's another story um, in, in terms of the NHL one obviously buffalo pissed off that you know they they were on the ice with new, new jersey who had what 14 to 17 players on the the covid protocol at one point yeah um so you know it's just it, it comes down to being diligent and making sure that you know the the, the league as a whole the teams are being transparent but also that the league is taking it seriously and mm-hmm. you know if you have to postpone a game and, and do so add a couple of weeks to the season obviously we saw how how you're able to do that uh last year in in becoming more adaptable to what what needs to get done but um yeah i mean for me it was just that there had to have been a better way to do it now you've got five teams that are postponing their seasons and you know the question becomes how long how, how much have you hurt the 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 2020 21 season um, okay. at this point. So um, obviously we talked about Buffalo and, and Ralph Krueger did test positive uh, head coach of the, the Buffalo Sabres. You know, obviously that's scary as he's getting up there in age as well. And, and we've seen how it affects the elderly. I don't, I'm yeah. not saying Ralph Kruger's elder. I'm just saying,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it, it, as you get up there in age, it does, does affect you a little bit differently. So, um, Obviously we want to, you know, wish him the best and hopefully he's back behind the bench uh, when, when Buffalo gets their season back underway. But yeah, it's, it's scary times right now. And, and we talk about it every single episode, um, find a way to stay safe and, and follow the rules. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen, we've seen the numbers drop, uh, here in Ontario a little bit over the last little while. Yeah, I know in London we've, uh, we've dropped to, um, you know, into the teens in terms of daily, uh daily positive tests. So that's, that's always a good sign to see. And, uh, you know, hopefully moving forward, uh, they can find a way to make this work and, and get everything, uh, get everything set and get back to a little bit of normalcy at some yeah. point this year. And the good thing with the NHL is, yeah,
1: they had, they hit a blip. And I said this, that, you know what, it's going to probably end up like baseball with the travel with teams, probably, you know, trying to be lackadaisical at times. you let your guard down? They're going to be cases, I mean, we're seeing that right now, even in a bubble situation where all teams are centered and localized in a division, you're seeing those cases. So I don't, I, I'm never right, but I did say that they, that we were going to see cases at some point in games postponed, like the MLB, but in, in a positive light, NHL is trying to be proactive. They removed the glass behind the bench. For more airflow, they had a portable air cleaners behind the bench as well for better air quality. Players and coaches are no longer permitted to arrive an hour forty five an hour and 45 minutes before the game unless it's for treatment. And they created additional locker room space for more physical distancing. That is from Elliot Friedman, where he reported uh, the changes to, in arena COVID-19 protocols. And in addition, like you said, they're trying to find more – more rapid testing or try and turn out results as quicker as possible than later because their current uh, PCR tests turn out results in 24 hours. If that's the case, then again, they're trying to, they're trying to do what's in the best interest for the players right now. They want to try and,
0: you know, get as
1: much done as possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, at what point do you start having these guys wear oxygen masks while they're on the bench? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I but hope it no, doesn't come to that. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I think they are trying to go about the same, the right way. They're trying to find ways to protect the players, to protect the management, to protect the coaching staff. Um, I still think teams that are allowing fans into the building should, you know, take that step back and and just have a universal rule about fans in terms of, you know, maybe, maybe now is not the time to get fans back in there. Mm-hmm. Um. Obviously, you know, we talked about with St. Louis last episode, but uh, it'd be nice to see that, you know, at some point all fans can get back into arenas. And the only way to do that is to to get ahead of this uh, this virus. And, and uh, that's still still a work in progress. So,
1: yeah, it's a big risk to take. But again, depending on the number of people coming in. And again, I, we mentioned this last week. There's a difference between an arena where it's closed and a closed space and then you have an open football dome. You I don't like the fact that 20,000 fans are going to Super Bowl or at least 20,000 fans. Some of them are healthcare workers, so good on them for getting the opportunity to go to the game as well. Great. But again, still that risk. I hope I mean, you could do physical distancing in an NFL arena. You have the space to do that. NHL arena, more confined, less amount of space, less amount of seating. It's going to be a little bit difficult in that regard.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, you know we talked about how it's affected the game, and, and uh, you know we mentioned this a few episodes back that the NHL is considering postponing the twenty twenty one NHL draft. Obviously, as guys that like to cover the the uh, prospects and the upcoming, um, you know, future of the NHL, um, you know, disappointed. I, I think that would be the way that I would describe how I'm feeling about it. Um, I do think that. You know, the draft is such a big thing, especially for the kids who get drafted, Mm -hmm. for you to postpone it and possibly put it back to back with the 2022 draft. I'm not I mentioned it before. I'm not a fan of it. Um, Obviously, you know, they they're trying to do what what's best for them. But I think there's a there's a great way to do it and and do it through Zoom or whatever, whatever it may be, uh, kind of the way they did it this year. But, um, yeah, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on, on postponing the 2021 draft? Yeah, we yeah, we talked about this last week and because it popped up on the
1: Saturday headlines and we went into great lengths to talk about it in the last episode. I'm still on the fence about this. On one hand, I can understand why you want to postpone it. They don't have enough viewings of the players. Certain leagues are on pause. Certain players are playing overseas. You may not get that opportunity to see them as much as you would like in person, given the fact that, you know, how. A good chunk of players are still playing and other players aren't. I know a good chunk of WHO and OHL players still aren't, you know, getting the game time that they want to see or at least getting their feet going in certain areas or in different leagues. But on the other hand, that's what video scouting is there. That's where there are a lot of good scouting services that are very reputable, where you can watch the games, you can watch past clips, you can draw your evaluation on a player, even though when it's in a different environment that you would that it's not what you want. Cause let's face it, the scout's home is the arena. Whether it's, you know, scouting uh, at the U 16 level or U15 level, the junior level, overseas, wherever. That's that's their job. They live to the travel, they live to the go watch these games a lot because you get a better sense. I get that. But you have other alternatives right now. You can still get you can still get the scouting. You can still come up with your rankings because central scouting doesn't even have their full rating, uh, Only have uh, ratings lists where it's like A, B, C, or D level prospects. They don't have their full rankings like it was top European uh, skater William Eklund, for example. One, two, three, four, five, six. You don't have that definitive ranking right now, so they're lagging behind. In regards to seeing how they can manage their their rankings and scouting process. Because I know that, I mean, I came out with my t- top 75. I know that other scouting services, Dauber and I believe Smash Scouting, they're coming out with their top consensus picks at some point later on. Uh, future considerations. They already have a top 100 out right now. They have they have the things going for them right now. They have the tools to you know at least compile something. NHL, where you, the league itself doesn't have quite the standard that they have with these other scouting services.
0: Yeah, I mean, me personally, like I I kind of love the idea of of going in a little bit more blind for teams. I think it it forces teams to to rely on their scouting uh, staff and. And I think at that point, you're going to see a few more steals in this draft. And that's why, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't mind that it it happens without the same kind of exposure that maybe we would have had in past years. Sure, it causes maybe some players to fall off the map and maybe they don't get drafted, but that that gives them an opportunity to sign as free agents. And I think, you know, there, there's a lot that plays into it. And, I mean, at a certain point, like, you still want to make it special for these kids as well. So yeah, for them to, and I mentioned this last time we talked about it, for you to go back to back with two drafts, I think, I think you're causing, you know, I think it, it makes it less special for those players that are drafted mm-hmm. because now all of a sudden the next day you're talking about the next class of, of draftees and it just becomes more of an issue. But I mean, obviously they've got to do what they got to do. They got to find a way to make it work for, for them and, and, and stay safe and, and keep, keep, uh, you know, keep everyone in line with, with what's going on. But, uh, yeah i i mean i guess we'll, we'll see what happens but i kind yeah. of hope that they they at least put a month in between the two or or a couple of months in between the two so that we you know we're talking about the 2021 draft class and then and then you know we got a little bit of time to to get ourselves ready for the 2022 draft class and um yeah i i mean it'll be interesting to see how they do it uh otherwise you know what's to say why not uh Want to just throw them all together and, and have a 14 round 2021 2022 draw. <laughs> I mean, it's, that that would be
1: exciting, except that just may be a total mess in itself, right? There. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, because you got to, uh, I mean, they do all this planning for just two days, right? They, yeah, it, it's a year round thing, and they got to make sure. I mean, it took a little while longer to figure things out with their with the 2021, uh, with, sorry, the 2020 draft with, you know, the, um, phase two lottery and all that to give like teams a fair chance right now, teams are playing games are going to be on hold. I'm hopeful. I know Mark Shag was uh, optimistic that games can be rescheduled and they can play the games at a later (laughs) date. I'm trying to be that as well, but right now they got a plan really really quickly for not only this draft and then the other one, if they if they're doing it like maybe a week after, because if they have something planned for 2021, they could just probably use the same format or everything else after that for 2022, because I know that they I'm pretty sure that they use the main NHL uh, office to like make the picks. And they went to video calls for the teams to make the selections. You want to do that? Great. It's easy. It's convenient. Everything's done online and virtual. But, yeah, it's still going to be really difficult to try and achieve back-to-back, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I'm kind of on the same page there. Um, that being said, the NHL is still going on. We've talked it a is. lot about how it's been affected. But uh, still a lot of games being played. Um, still a lot of hockey being played. and. Worth noting that there are some players that are off to very hot starts, and I just want to do a quick run through here of some of the some of the guys in the top ten in scoring right now. Obviously, you've got McDavid, you've got Dreisaitl, Mitch Marner sitting third right now with 17 points. Number four, James Van Reemsdyke, 16 points. Um, just a incredible start for him. Obviously, you got Panarin up there, you got Bergeron, Quinn Hughes having another like incredible season uh especially for a team that's not doing as well as you know people thought you got your Marshawn you got your Kane you got Pavelski up there the vet just absolutely tearing it up so far for Dallas um some some big names obviously and and you know mentioned we mentioned a couple episodes ago Jeff Petrie up there in terms of defenseman uh scoring 13 points so far for Montreal um just incredible but the one guy that, you know, we we want to talk about a little bit, obviously, we're a Toronto podcast, but we want to touch on um, uh, David Pasternak. David Pasternak yeah. and the Boston Bruins. Um, you know, what can you say about this kid? Like, just unbelievable. 24 years old, already has 387 career points in 394 games. Eight points so far in four games to start the year for Boston, um, you know, coming off an off season where he he did have to deal with some injuries. Um, but five goals, three assists, eight points, just an incredible start for the 24 year old.
1: Underwent hip surgery in the offseason. Comes back. I mean, yeah, in his first three games, he had five goals, including against the Flyers. It's like he didn't miss any time whatsoever. It was just like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to score a hat trick. I'm going to do my thing. It was It was like so far it's a cakewalk for him. He just knows where the play is going, where to get into the open spot, right area, and then get the puck and then just rifle it. It's crazy that he hasn't missed a beat at all. And we could talk about like how many people were probably putting the Bruins down because of the two injuries to Marshawn and uh, Pasternak. How, Berge, uh, I mean, Marshawn came back earlier than expected, and even Pasta came back earlier than expected as well. The loss of Dano Chara, there's questions on the D. I, honestly, I doubted the Bruins. I didn't think that maybe they would be as great and they're still relying on their top line, but they're starting to get some contributions throughout the lineup as well. Maybe not as much as still they would like to hope to, but man, you can't say anything bad about Pasternak, right? You really can't as a leaf fan who's seen disappointment time and time again from the Boston Bruins. I mean,
0: where, where sorry, we're on sorry. Go opposite,
1: ahead. No, I was just about to say we're on the opposite end of the losing streak every single time with Boston, but Pasternak you can't hate him. Even as a Leaf fan, you can't.
0: Yeah, no. Um. I, I mean, I could say a hundred bad things about Pasternak, but none of them are going to be true. Uh, <laughs> like, he just in terms of watching him play the game, like it, it, some people it just comes easy to them and, and he's one of those guys. And I know when he was coming up, there was so much hype surrounding him. He came in, kind of had an interesting start with the Boston Bruins uh, in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not getting the o- ice time or opportunity he wanted or, or, or was able, you know, giving him a chance to kind of show showcase what he's able to do. But um, yeah, I mean, just the point totals in terms of what he's done throughout his career uh, just kind of goes to show you just what this kid's all about. Yeah. Um, that top line of Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak, obviously one of the top lines in the entire game these days. Um, and he just continues to be a major piece for that team. So I'll, I'll be right there with you in saying that I had huge doubts coming into the season of, surrounding Boston. Um, they lost Tory Krug. They lost Zidane Chara. Yeah. Um, wasn't, we weren't sure on where Marshawn and Posnerox st- stood to start the year. Um, yeah, just a lot. There's a young, they have a young blue line. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, they've done more than impressed so far. And obviously, you know, we hate to see it as Toronto fans, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's obviously, you know, for him to, to have the start that he is, it's just incredible. And, uh, you can't say much more about it. Um. Yeah, I mean, talking about hot starts, obviously, you know, one guy we have to mention is 35-year-old Alexander Ovechkin, who's got three goals to start the year, eight points in seven games. And what's crazy about this is he just passed Mike Gardner for eighth, or now he's seventh all-time on the uh, NHL all-time goals list with 709, passes Mike Gardner, who had 708. Now he's just Eight goals behind Phil Esposito for sixth all time, but my question is this: Peter, 35 years old, he's played almost 1,200 games. He's played through lockouts last year, obviously a short. Season. This year, obviously a shortened season. But now the question becomes: Is Wayne Gretzky's 894 still a possibility for a guy like Ovechkin?
1: Ah, <sighs> that that's a tough question. I I'm I'm a firm believer that I still think he can do this. He's literally closing in and he's 35. He's still he still got time. I don't think he's done at all whatsoever. I think he's gunning down that record. Obviously, we've heard him talk about it. I mean, let's face it. He could probably do that in I'm I I want to say 3 years cuz I'm looking at it this way. If he could still post 45 to 50 goals each season, the record is his. That's, a, that's like almost 80, 90 goals per season in two years. There's another 100 right there. He'll be at, a, um, let's say he adds another 25 goals this year, 28, 30, whatever. He adds 30. He can easily take Marcel Dion. He's only 22 behind him right now. For fifth all-time. And then next is Brett Hall with 741. Yarmer Yager, 766. Gordie Howe, 801. Gretzky, 894. I think he can do it. I honestly believe that the goal record is going to be his. And I don't think he's going to leave the league until it probably is his. So, I look
0: at it this way. He's 185 behind Gretzky right now. Mm-hmm. Okay? He averages... goals per game uh, over his career. 709 goals in 1,159 games played. Yeah, it'll take him 303 goal or 303 games played at that pace to reach Gretzky's record. So, given that this is a shortened season, you're probably only going to play another what 49 games. So, you're talking about roughly. 254 more games after this season if you continue your goals uh, per game pace this year mm-hmm. in the 49 games. So, I mean, you're looking at another two and a half years after this at that, that same that same goal rate. Um, is it possible? I mean, look, he's 35. Yeah. He's 35. We've seen guys play. I mean, look at Jason Spetz is 37. The guy is just not, he's relentless. Mm-hmm. You stick Ovechkin on the power play in his area with that shot, you're guaranteed 20 to 25 goals per season. Okay. Um, He's had 260 power play goals over his entire career. That's a third of of the goals he's scored um, in his entire career. Is it possible? Absolutely it's possible. Yeah. It very is. Yeah, it, what's what's going to dictate it is whether or not he plays full seasons, and I think that's where we're we're going to have to look at, you know, does injury come into play? Do does the NHL have another shutdown for a little while? Um, you know, do they play the entire entirety of this fifty-six game season? Mm-hmm. That's going to be what determines whether or not Ovechkin becomes the all-time greatest goal scorer in the entire history of the NHL. Yeah. I mean
1: best case scenario vaccines start to increase a little more consistently in the in the spring and summer months fans could get back in October November or at least the players can play a full 82 game season season even with limited fan attendance in October November let's say that still a full 82 game season Ovechkin averages about you know he scored anywhere between 40 and 50 goals. He does that for the next 2 to 3 years. No injuries, no lockouts, no other pandemic. It is his. It really is his. And dating back to like his first ever game, his first ever season where he scored 52 goals, 46, 65, 56, 50. His lowest was 32 goals. And that was considered an off year where he had 85 points and 53 assists. Jump back up to 38. 32 points again. But that was in 2012, 2013. I believe that was a lockout shortened year. Still, 56 points. 51, 30, 53, 50. 33 again in 2016 17 Low but still a 30 goal, still 30 goals. 49, 51, 48 last season. He's only had one to three 30 goal seasons where that was just the bare minimum. Everything else has been 40 or 50. Three seasons out of his 16-year NHL career, I, I, I'm i almost certain that he can do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to, like like I said, it's going to come down to... Um, You know what the games, the games played and and if he can continue to to surge the way that he is. um, But regardless, I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest goal scorers to ever play the game. Um, And I and I don't think there's any doubt that he will be able to continue to climb that list. And it might come down to just, you know, how and um, Gretzky in front of him. And that'll be that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting to see what he's able to do. My thing Um, is this, if
1: he played the same time as, and and I think we may have touched up on this before, correct me if I'm wrong. If he played in the same time, like Gretzky's era, where, you know, goals were coming galore. And we've seen that in the eighties and nineties, where that was like the prime time for like goals. The goalie equipment wasn't as great as it is right now their goalies may not have been as big as well. Ovechkin definitely would have had the record. If he was playing in Gretzky's era, I'm almost certain that he would have Gretzky's record.
0: Yeah, I I don't think there's any doubt. Um, You're talking about, you know, years where guys were putting up 200 points, guys were putting Mm -hmm. up 150 points. Um, You know, years where, you know, Bobby Orr was the leading scorer in the NHL. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think it would have been a different time. And, and I mean, if if there was a if there was an exact science how to compare, you know, generation to generation or 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 decade to decade, um, you know, obviously we could we could look back and, and kind of determine where he would sit mm-hmm. all time. But I mean, for him to do it in today's NHL, just I think is just as impressive, if not more impressive. Um, you know, seeing as I want I don't want to say chippy because it was chippy back then, but yeah, there's not as much open ice for him to skate. isn't. Um, you know, the, the goalie pads have changed. Um, nets have changed. Like just, there's so many different factors that play into it. Uh, for him, if he can, if he can top Gretzky's eight ninety four, I think that's going to be one of the, one of the greatest, greatest feats ever by, by an NHL player.
1: Remember a few years ago, how they wanted to try and get more goal scoring or like, you know, goals were not coming at a quicker rate than they were in the past. Ovechkin was the only one to probably be very consistent in at least just providing fans with some sort of excitement because he was always at the top of every single goal list of every single season. I mean, let's, that's a fact, right? Yeah. He can, again, like I said, he has an opportunity to pass Marcel Dion for fifth overall. If he gets past 731, he's literally breathing down Brett Hall's neck at this point. He's creeping up behind him. Where he, where let's say Ovechkin finishes with 735, he gets to 735, 741. That's only six goals behind Brett Hall that he would be at next season. That that fourth spot is his. Yarmer Yager, that third spot is going to be his that same year, because that's at least guaranteed. He's a guaranteed at least another twenty thirty, maybe forty. And I'm only just assuming this because of uh, just I, again. I'm not good with math, but given the rate that Ovechkin has played in, he's at least guaranteed 40. We could say that, oh, this player's guaranteed 20, 30, 35. He's guaranteed 40, 45 every single year. Even if he gets to 40 years old, I'm still going to put him
0: down for 40 or 50. My thing is, if he gets to 893, you better be putting every Washington Capitals game on national television. Oh, God, yeah. To allow the entire fan base of the the game of hockey to watch and see if when he breaks Wayne Gretzky's or ties Wayne Gretzky's record I will say this one of our photographers I believe it was just star
1: she was there for Ovechkin's 700th goal she was there for history where he scored the bench cleared it was a it was a phenomenal moment and she had a ton of great pictures so imagine what the spectacle is going to be like when he breaks that record. I'm a, I'm in full agreement with you. I don't care if the Leafs are playing. I'd rather watch Ovechkin break history than just watch a
0: regular season Leaf game at this point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. Um, what's great about the Capitals right now is... Is they are still an incredibly successful team. They they were able to bring in guys like Chara. Um, obviously, you know they signed Henrik Lundqvist, lost him just as quickly as they they brought him on. Um, but with that, they were forced to kind of throw, you know, Vitek Vanacek into the into the net um, to to back up Ilya Samsonov. And this kid has been unbelievable. We talked about it early in the season. This is going to be a year of rookies, where you know you're seeing guys come out of you know left field to, to to really put on a show for for their team. You know we talk about Ty Smith in in um, New Jersey. We talk about Kirill Kaprasov in Minnesota. But January's rookie of the year, rookie of the month, Vitek Vanacek. Um, eighth Capital to ever earn the honor. Um, one of three current Capitals to do so. Uh, including Ovechkin who did it twice and, and Nicholas Backstrom. He's also the first to do so since Michael Neuwirth in October, October of 2010, the fourth goalie for the Capitals to ever do it behind Bob Mason, who did it back in December of 1984, Jim Carrey, who did it in March of 95. And obviously Neuwirth who we talked about in October, 2010. So worth noting that this guy's having a season, um, Two very young goaltenders, but two very good goaltenders in Samsonov and and Vanacek.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember when, like, he was, like, first added to the roster. And both me and you were very questionable. We're like, who is this guy? I have no idea where he's come from. Now he's making his mark. And these are the feel-good stories that you love to hear. Players that usually fly under the radar— Don't get a really good look as much as they should. He's running with it right now. And these are the players that you want to have in your organization because they can be the difference maker. And he's proving it right now. I mean, hell, if you got a fantasy league and you're looking for a goalie, go pick him up. I mean, that's that's probably my
0: advice right now because he's looking pretty sharp right now. Yeah, and worth noting, it, it does look as though he's stolen the, the starting job from Samsonov. Um, he's played nine games this year so far, 5-2-2, two, and two, with a 295 goals against and a 9.11 save percentage. So just mm-hmm. really, really incredible stuff for the 25-year-old. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he continues the season. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was second round, 39th overall in 2014. So they obviously knew what they were getting in this kid. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely keep an eye on this guy going forward. He could be a potential, um, you know, dark horse for the the Calder Trophy. Yeah, and just to go back,
1: it was Jess Starr who took who found the photo or took photos of Ovechkin during his 700th goal. That that is confirmed. She was there present. There a, a fantastic photo of her with him celebrating his 700th goal. So again, congrats to Jess Starr
0: for being a part of history there. Beautiful. Um. Yeah, and uh, you know, kind of going off the goalie news, obviously mm-hmm. Connor Hellebuck sets the <clears> franchise <throat> record for wins, uh, for the for the Jets. Um, you know, big moment for him. He recorded his hundred fifty third career win, passing Andre Pavlik for the most in Jets franchise history. Uh, that does go back to the Atlanta Thrashers as well. Yeah. Um, he has the second most wins in the NHL since the start of the 2017-18 season, with 114, behind only Andre Vasilevsky of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who had an unbelievable year two years ago. Uh, who has? He has 124, so only 10 wins behind him. Uh, great moment for for Hellebuck. Obviously, the Winnipeg Jets um, are a team that we are going to be talking about a lot this season in the Canadian Division. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely just a great moment for him as well. Since 2016-17, aside from Frederick Anderson, Hellebuck
1: has been the next busiest goaltender. Anderson's faced 7,357 shots. Hellebuck, 7,055. A little less than Anderson, but still a hell of a lot of shots to face. He's come up with a 917 save percentage for seventh overall since then. I mean, let's face it, the Jets the Jets succeed because of a stellar play in that. I mean, yeah, you got, I mean, even before then, you had Big, Buff- uh, big Bufflin, Big big Dustin Bufflin, where he was your go- one of your go-to defensemen. You had an up-and-coming defenseman in Josh Morsey, who's still playing pretty well, but you had Blake Wheeler. You had Mark Scheifele. You had Patrick Laine up front. Those were your star players, but he's been a star for them every single night, every single game, and he has a Vezina to back it up right now. He's been their MVP for years, and it's showing. And he deserves nothing but all the praise for getting that or setting that mark right now for the uh, Winnipeg Jets slash
0: Atlanta Thrasher's organization right now. Yep, 27 years old. Um, eight eight games started this year for the, the Winnipeg Jets, 5-2-1, mm-hmm. uh, with a 248 goals against, 913 save percentage. He was a fifth-round pick. 130th overall in 2012 by the Winnipeg Jets, and uh, you know at 27, still, still a very young goaltender with a lot of hockey ahead of him. Yeah. Um. You know, if you can put the right team in place in front of him, and and it's it's looking to be, uh, you know, a better situation with adding a guy like Dubois, who who obviously you know has some incredible talent to, to give. Um. You know, you're talking about a, a team that could could potentially be a you know, a, a contender down the road if, if they can put the right pieces in place. So, um, yeah, I mean, congratulations to Connor Hellebuck. And, yeah. uh, you know, we look forward to uh, watching this kid continue to grow as well um, from a hockey fan standpoint. I wasn't... Obviously, I, 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 I had Andre
1: Vasilevsky playing or winning the Vetsman last year, but Hellebuck was going to be my next option to win it. I mean... Yeah, Vasilevsky had a great year, but Halibut kept his team in it every single night. And again, the amount of shots that he faces, he, again, he's the reason why they have a winning chance, even on nights where, you know, kind of like Toronto, they didn't deserve the win. We've seen that many times with Frederick Anderson, where where he's been the backbone in net. He's been, again, a major piece of their success. So, and like you said, he's going to continue winning games going forward.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, Obviously, you know, that's uh, great news for the Winnipeg Jets, but we're here to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes. Um, and not an incredibly busy <clears throat> week for the Leafs. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, a couple games out out, uh, out west, and, and they returned home to play the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, four-day break. Yeah, four-day break. First game of a three-game set with the, the Canucks in Toronto huge huge 7-3 win to open up the mini series with the Canucks um you and I talked about it in the uh pre-show here obviously one of the better games we've seen the team play even though they still gave up three goals uh it was one of the one of the better team games that we've seen the, the the Maple Leafs play this year um you know, you had a piece come out about Jason Spetz, a thirty-seven year old with a hat trick. It almost—it was a flashback to what he w- used to be able to do with, you know, the Sens and even early on in his Dallas days. But yeah, what what a game by by the Toronto Maple Leafs to, to put up a seven spot on on a team that obviously, you know, we talked about maybe a little bit overrated this year, uh, but uh, huge game mentally and and when it comes to confidence for the Toronto Maple Leafs?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, the Jason Spezza hat-trick was the highlight of that game. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But even then, when I was reading up on the score for the game, before that, the Maple Leafs had five one-goal game wins. This now was their third game where they had two or more goals. And I think in both those games, he, the Leafs got by because of an empty net goal. And I think it was against Edmonton and against Winnipeg. So the fact that they were able to come off with this win and have a statement game where it wasn't another one goal game that should boost their boost their confidence that now maybe they're getting a little bit more comfortable with each other. Maybe, um, you know, there's a lot of like, not necessarily roster imbalance, but you have to deal with injuries, new players coming in. You still got to find that chemistry with certain players. You're seeing more of a complete team right now. You're seeing a more comfortable Wayne Simmons. Joe Thornton was looking more comfortable before he went down. Um, obviously he wasn't playing in, in this game, but, jason spezza since going on waivers since being a healthy scratch which in no fault was his own of like a poor performance or anything it was being reported that he keith wanted to give him some rest you can't help but feel happy for him at his age what he went through last season with mike babcock he's definitely happy to be here and you can see the smile on his face and i was hoping that maybe if Michael Hutchinson had a hat on, he would throw a hat on the ice, kind of like what Braden Holby did with uh, Sutter with Vancouver the other night. Make it feel like, you know, have a little fun with it, right? He wants his team to succeed. And that game showed where his heart lies. And you could expect nothing more from Jason Spetsa going forward right now. He may not get another hat-trick night as a fourth-line player, but he's going to remember this. And he's going to continue putting his best foot forward.
0: No, absolutely. And, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got eight hat-tricks in his, in his career. Uh, 37-year-old, we mentioned. You know, he's uh, first hat-trick since 2016. But mm-hmm. um, consider this. Consider this. Listen to the respect that the players, you know, the Maple Leafs players have for him. Kristen Shilton TSN, tweeted that Austin Matthews said on Jason Spezza, he means a lot to this team, I think more than anybody knows. That was fun to watch. That was vintage Jason Spezza. He put on a show, and he deserves it. I mean, just the respect that these guys have for, for a guy like Jason Spezza to be in the room, um, you know, it, it it speaks volumes. And and this is what we talked about a little bit early on with, in the show with uh, D'Angelo. And, and what, you know, having that team guy on – in the dressing room, a guy like Spezza, a guy like Thornton, when you add these veterans to the to the lineup, they teach you how to be pros. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just incredible what he's been able to do. And and Scott Wheeler, um, the athletic also tweeted out Jason Spezza has thirty-two points in sixty-eight games since joining the Leafs.
1: Yeah.
0: His five most common line mates during that time, Kasperi Kapnan, Pierre Angval, Frederick Gauthier, Nick Patan, and Kyle Clifford. It's a what? pretty good pace for, out of, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And out of those names, how many of them actually stand out to you? Not many. I mean, many. Kapanen,
1: but then again, he was very inconsistent last year. Absolutely. So how how much of it was, you know, Jason Spezza carrying Kasperi Kapanen? Because I don't think Kasperi Kapanen was carrying Spezza at that point.
0: No, and I, I also tweeted out that with his eight points in 10 games this year. Obviously, he was a healthy scratch for one game. Mm -hmm. He's on pace for 44 points in 55 games. That's a 65-point pace over an 82-game season. For a 37-year-old to be on a 65-point pace for an 82-game season, I mean, for me, as a fourth liner, that's just incredible. I want to see that.
1: I really want to see that happen. Because I remember watching... Jason Spezza, growing up as a kid, I went to a few Mississauga Ice Dogs games. I remember him suiting up for the Ice Dogs, going out, and I was, I was like, probably like, I don't know, seven or eight at the time. I don't remember a lot as a kid, but I remembered him watching him play in those games that I was at, and I was absolutely a major Jason Spezza fan. I was mad when he went to Ottawa, because let's face it, Toronto, Toronto, The Toronto-Ottawa rivalry ran deep in me, even as a kid, but you still want him to succeed. And again, we can talk about how great he was last night, but again, it shouldn't over... I mean, not to say that, you know, it shouldn't overshadow the fact that they came out with a really big win, but it was a big statement win. And you had everybody... You had all three lines going. Maybe the third line really didn't connect, but you had... Matthews, Hyman, and Marner going all out. Matthews had two really amazing goals, one end-to-end rush. Marner had a nice assist on his second one, where he's like, no look behind, no look, sweep back pass, and then Matthews just buries a full Thatcher Demko. Wayne Simmons looked pretty good with Tavares and Nylander, and I think he's getting more comfortable in that top-nine role. I think now with if he's getting more minutes, he's going to be more effective. And we saw that with that fight with Jordy Ben. I mean, second time where Wayne Simmons just said, okay, you want to go? We'll go. Two and O fights. So there's a lot to love about that game. You could say that maybe Anderson could have had maybe at least one or two of those goals. Because the first goal, maybe... No one tied up Tanner Pearson. It was a free-for-all, just batting the loose puck. No one tied a stick up. You can't fault him on that. But maybe the second or third goal, he was way out of position on the Bo Horvat one. Maybe the JT Miller he should have had because it went underneath his arm. And even if you're looking at like the advanced stats or the final counts from that game, the Maple Leafs dominated possession, 68% Corsi for percentage, at five on five in the first period, 55 in the second, and 68 in the third. Just absolutely dominant, four for one, four to one in high danger chances for expected goals for, 81% as a team, 74 or sorry, 74%, 74.09%. I can't read today. <laughs> um, Overall, I was looking at the third period, but 74% expected goals for overall. Um, yeah. Dominating performance. And this is the kind of consistency where we kind of lacked even. And I was really critical about their puck movement before. And I, I, we're going to talk about this later on, I assume with even Manny Malhotra, but they looked more confident passing the puck around. There's not as much bouncing plays and stuff like that, but i don't know they just i don't know considering the fact that it, the vancouver canucks have been struggling a lot this year considering what they went through in the playoffs and how much of a surprise it was for them they're taking a major step back but toronto took advantage of that they didn't ease up at all and i think that's the issue with that's going to be the main factor for them going forward from now on
0: yeah i know and, and you you kind of touched on everything uh in in that last little run there um
1: Obviously, yeah,
0: you know that. No, 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 it's great. Uh, obviously, you know, you talked about the fourth line combos and, and just what we've seen this season and, and g- g- seeing guys like, you know, um, Wayne Simmons move up in the lineup. He seems to feed off of that confidence and yeah. and he's playing healthy this year. And that's something we talked about earlier and like, you know, before the season even started is that, yeah. you know, this is a guy that who hasn't been exactly healthy over the last, uh, you know, a few years. But for him to to come out and now you're playing at you know at home, um, you know it's just it's giving him an opportunity to be, you know, the Wayne Simmons that maybe we we were more used to seeing. Obviously, not the offensive, you know, threat that he was when he played with Philly, but he's a guy that you know he's he's able to to get into the grimy areas, open up some ice for his line mates. Um, you know, just be, be that guy. And then, and then obviously you mentioned it goes out and has a fight. Yeah. Um, catches the eye of, of ice tea online and TMZ is talking about it. And yeah, you know, it was, a, it was a solid win. He had, he had a few haymakers in there that really caught. And again, at the end of the fight, just pure class guy. Absolutely. Make Sure. You know, great job to, to Jordy Ben. Make sure that uh, you know he's good, and and that that was it. And he's there to, to to add that fuel to the fire, be that physical guy, and go out and and you know he he finished his check on Quinn Hughes, and that's what led to the fight. Yeah. I had no issue with his hit. I had no issue with with Jordy Ben, you know, kind of standing up for his defensive partner, and I had no issue with Simmons, you know, coming out and dropping the gloves. Really I, I think it was just it was the way that that it all played out. It wasn't, it wasn't a stage fight. It was just one of those things where testosterone's fueling. fueling, you know, obviously emotions are high and, and that was it. So um, yeah, I I had no issue with it. I think the team is playing well. Uh, You mentioned it, uh, you know, Austin Matthews is uh, just on an absolute tear with a, with a six goal or six game goal streak, seven goals in that time. Um, James Myrtle of the athletic, he he mentions that almost every time Austin Matthews scores, now on pace for 47 goals in 55 games. That's mm-hmm. a 70 goal pace on on an 82 game season. Um, and and Myrtle always comes out and says, "I think he does it. I think 47 goals might be a stretch, but if this guy can put up 40 goals in 55 games, holy Mackinac
1: We talk about how good Ovechkin is at scoring. Man, Austin Matthews is just right up there. I mean, given the fact that last year it was a ne- it was almost a very clo- it was a very close race between Pasternak, Ovechkin, and Matthews. Obviously, given the pandemic, things had to cancel out. Matthews definitely would have hit fifty, and he probably could have won it. He could have won the Rocket Richard, and I think maybe this year, this is his year. Maybe 47, like you said, maybe 47 is a bit of a stretch, but if he can get to 40 in 56 games, man, that's just unreal. That is absolutely unreal. And Matt Larkin from the Hockey News also added, he's up to 55 goals in 80 games since the start of last season. There's your your goal per game pace right there of... Let's say he adds two more. Let's say he goes 80. I'm just trying to do math right now. at the top of my head. He has 55 goals. Let's say he adds maybe four more. Let's do 59 out of like 82 games. That's 72. per. That's like a really good rate right there for goals per game. 0.72 goals per game. And that's all, And that's just me adding two more games onto that if Matthew scores two goals in those two games to get to 59. 59 thank out of 82. That is absolutely amazing. I'm still, I, and I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm still awestruck that we have a player of that caliber right now.
0: Oh, absolutely. And think of it this way. So we talked about Ovechkin being a career 0.61 goals per game average. Mm-hmm. Right now, with 166 career goals in 292 games, Matthews is on pace for, or sorry, he's averaging 0.57 goals per game, okay? Over the same span um, of games played by Ovechkin, over his career, you're talking about 653 goals. You're only 50 goals back of where Ovechkin is at this point in his career. As a 23-year-old. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that Matthews is the same type of goal scorer as Ovechkin. Obviously, their games are, are very, very different in, in in a number of ways. More of a two-way game with Matthews. More of a two-way game. But if you're talking about after, you know, 1149 games, you're talking about Matthews being at 650 goals. Yo, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. I'm on board. I, I am 100% on board. Keep him in Toronto. Let him score the goals. Let's see what he can do. 12 points in 10 games this season. Just incredible. Thirty-four goals in his in his
1: sophomore season. Granted, he only played sixty-two games. He had he dealt with injuries that year. Same with the year after that with 37. Injury riddled seasons where he didn't play close to seventy games, close to 82 whatsoever. And he still managed to put up just under 35 in his second season and just under 40 in his third, where he didn't play a full eighty-two game season. What does that say about him? And again, we see this all the time. Fans in other markets complaining about Austin Matthews and stuff like that. Let's face it. Matthews would be having the same pace on any other team if he was doing this kind of stuff. I would be in shock and awe. If he was a Coyote, if he was a Dallas Star, if he was a Boston Bruin, I don't care what team Austin Matthews is on. You can't deny how good of a goal-scoring threat he is. And the fact that now we're we're putting him in the same light on pace numbers as Ovechkin it's so it's it's an honor it really is an honor to be in that
0: same category as him yeah no and uh I don't I don't want to jump right over to um to the Leafs power play but I do want to mention one more thing from the Leafs game against the Canucks there was a hit by Chatfield a defenseman on uh Oh, yeah. uh, on vancouver on on alex kerfoot and uh i oh man this is just another discussion about how the de- the department of player safety is not about player safety whatsoever i am i'm <laughs> really shocked and annoyed, confused as hell as this is how this is not a, a penalty in any way uh, shape or form not a fine not a suspension nothing um right on the numbers face against the glass i, I mean at what point are you trying to protect these players? Yeah, I'm. I'm just as confused as
1: you are. I'm just as confused. The fans are just as confused as you are. Like, let's be realistic. That that was just a. That was a terrible call. I would have said something else, but I'm trying to like prevent all the swearing because I also want to. I'm not at that e level, explicit level just yet. I also want to be TV or you know viewer friendly kind of thing, but. Deep down, how can you let that call slide and then give not necessarily because he got a pretty weak penalty call later on himself, Kerfoot, but even the games before again in Edmonton where he had a couple of phantom weak calls and he gets the penalty. Like, do you see what the issue is here? And even then, I even think John Tavares got like an interference call where his skate accidentally clipped Quinn Hughes. Unfortunate incident. Like, yeah, Hughes did look kind of shaken up on that play. But it wasn't intentional or egregious where, you know, John Tavares is a dirty player going after and clipping people, right? It was was skate on skate, purely accidental. I know what the rules say, but come on, you're going to call that over a hit behind where it actually even looked like Kerfoot hit his head along the boards. This is an issue where, you know what? And we're not just complaining because we're Leafs fans. This is a hockey thing. That's a hockey, like if that was a full on Montreal Canadian player, if Kerfoot was on the Montreal Canadiens and that same play happened, I- I'm complaining about that. That is an issue. This Put team bias aside. That's a penalty regardless that should even be a like that should even be a 10 minute misconduct or even possibly like get thrown out because that's the kind of stuff that you want to avoid
0: yeah i know 100% and like i said i don't want to get too too into it uh, i i've uh, i've a long standing issue with the department of player safety and how they handle certain yeah. issues and this is just another another knock on 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 what they do and and how they you know there's too much gray area involved in it so um that being said Um, you know, we can touch a little bit on the fourth line combos. Obviously we've seen players come in and out of the lineup. Travis Boyd seems to be clicking well with uh, Jason Spezza. Mm -hmm. We've seen Pierre Anvall. We've seen Joey Anderson. We've seen, you know, we've seen so many players come in and out of the Leafs lineup. Um, But it seems like it could be Spezza with Travis Boyd and you know, let's say Pierre Engvall on the on the other side. Uh, this could be the potential for a fourth line that that really has uh, the ability to get things done. Um, obviously, we'll see. You know, the possibility of Simmons dropping back down into a third or fourth line role when guys like Robertson and Thornton come back. Yeah. But uh, I mean, right now it seems like Boyd could be a potential. Um, season-long lock in, in the fourth-line role.
1: One of our fellow writers, Kevin Ar- Armstrong, he's coming out with a piece, or depending on when it comes out, it may have already come out because we're pre-recording this, where he does look at fourth-line tryouts and line combinations as well. So if that's already out, I'm talking to myself in the future, go read that out because that would probably be a really another fantastic read from him. But, yeah, I mean, in the game that he played against the Calgary Flames, Travis Boyd's play immediately stood out for me. And I'm just going to say this right now. Four points in three games. Goal, three assists. Compare that to what Jimmy Feesey has done. Two goals, three assists. I mean, two goals, three points in 11 games. Many... I've seen this online a lot. Many are expecting more from VC to come out, but they're not going to get it. And right now he just looks, he just doesn't seem to fit in right now. He doesn't have the quick pace and energy that Boyd has. And I tweeted out my like potential line combinations when players come out, I left Robertson off because, you know, he could probably be inserted every now and then, but Travis Boyd has solidified his spot. He should not be taken out of this lineup at this point. The energy, the ability to get in for check, and he's check, and he's having really good chemistry with Spezza right now. That rush to Spezza's second goal where he's leading the rush gives it to Patan, and Patan, who had a really great game, by the way, passes it over to Spezza for him to wire it. I'd say keep that line intact until you start to see something not right, but even if you have Pierre Engvall in that role on the fourth line... He's still a go-getter. He's still got really great speed and his size could just get it, get that inside edge and advantage. So yeah, you got, I think right now going forward, you have two out of that three set right now. If again, even if you want it, like I still don't think Jimmy VC should be, I think he gets demoted. I, I think he should be because he hasn't done anything to warrant any more playtime. That way, if Nick Robertson comes in, he could be on that third line. Wayne Simmons could be on that fourth, and you could have Boyd, Spezza, and Simmons as a fourth line, where you have Kerfoot, Robertson, and McKayev as the third. So quite a bit of options going forward right now, and it's, again, I'm saying this right now, Travis Boyd should not be taken out of the lineup, because I've been absolutely impressed with the way that he's played through three games.
0: Yeah, no, I think uh, VC's been basically invisible aside from his two goals uh, mm-hmm. so far this season. Obviously, through 11 games, I mean, he just he's he's almost playing too comfortable, and he's a guy that shouldn't be comfortable in the lineup at at this point. Yeah, he's done nothing to deserve to be there. Um, but yeah, I think he's got to be a guy that comes out. Um, obviously, you know, I think Boyd's earned his spot for the time being, and and we'll see what happens when Thornton and uh, Robertson come back, and that could be sooner than we think.
1: VC only had two goals. There was that tip in front, or there was that pass from Nylander where he tips it in front and it gets past Carey Price in the first game, and then Nylander makes a nice feed over to him for his second goal of the season. I believe it was against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. I I, it's been a while since I, I need to go back and look at it. I'll probably correct myself next week, but. The pass that Nylander made was a really great pass, and VC had to reach it back to try and get control of it. And luckily, he gets it into the empty net, or he gets his goal. Great, but that's not a play where you should be reaching back or feel like you're out of position. That was a perfect tape-to-tape pass.
0: Yeah,
1: and he almost—he almost missed his. Uh, his. He missed his. Uh, I can't, I can't think right now. He missed it. He almost missed his
0: opportunity. There we yeah, go. Wow. Yeah. No, he was just out of position. Yeah. And, and um, no, I, I agree. I think those plays were both made by, by Nylander who's having a great start to the year as well. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think he's the guy that comes out of the lineup. Yeah. Um, you need a guy that's going to be in there that helps the team. And, and one guy that's been helping the team a lot this season is uh new assistant coach, Manny Malhotra and what he's done with the power play. Um, heading into the the latest game, the 11th game of the season for the Toronto Maple Leafs, they had the best power play percentage through the first 10 games in NHL history. Um, now, through 11 games, their, their record is 8-2-1, but their power play percentage is at 40%, which is the highest in the league, along with the Dallas Stars. Mm-hmm. It is They are hitting on all cylinders when it comes to the power play at this point. Oh, God, yeah. Looking at it last year, clicked at
1: 23.1%. Then again, full 82-game season. Sorry, not even close. Uh, during, like, you know, 70 games played, uh, games shortened because of the pandemic. Um, ranked fifth, tied with Tampa Bay last year. Top five in the league. That That's where you want to be. That's where you want to be known considering the offense that this team has. 14 for 35 for 40% this year. That is an absolutely insane rate. And what's funny is they really didn't change anything from last year to this year, except for one thing. But I'm just going to build up my point. They had the same setup. Puck movement looks a little bit crisper this time around. They look more comfortable because that was one of my critiques early on. Even though they were clicking, the puck management just didn't seem to be on point. That game against Vancouver and even against Edmonton sort of started to click together and started to be a little bit more smooth. With Malhotra running the power play right now, they look better on draws. And given his expertise or his skill set to win draws as a player, they're quick to setting up and getting their uh, format set up in the offensive zone right now. That, I think, is probably the only change right now because there are times last year where maybe it was a draw that should have been won. They're winning their opportunities and their battles, and they want to get advantage of that puck right away. So that's to me, is where H- Holter comes in. A little tweak in the faceoff dot could be a difference between a puck getting cleared out or getting set up, getting your first shot, getting your second or third chances, or even getting to that opportunity where it's Matthews to Riley to Marner to Matthews one-timer. So you got that going right now. You even have Mitch Martin shooting the puck more. We saw we've I wrote about this. We even heard Wayne Simmons saying, Hey, Mitch, shoot at me. That way if it gets to me, I could either tip it in or get the rebound, whatever. Shoot the puck more. Even Wayne Simmons is a big proponent of that. Chris Johnson had a great piece about Malholtra and his impact on the power play. And even the players are just saying that it, it like I believe it was also Simmons and uh marner in that article that his attention to detail and wanting to perfect things just stands right out and the fact that he's a perfectionist shows that maybe the players want to get to that point as well they want to be
0: perfect yeah i know 100 and um yeah i think i think it's just a great start to the year it kind of has defined what the leafs have done so far this season yeah they're still giving up a lot of goals and yeah we'd like to see some change to that but Right now they're they're clicking in, in certain aspects of the game and we, we have to, you know, take what we can get from them at this point in time. And sitting atop the NHL, it's just, you know, I, I don't think we can sit back and complain here. So, no, um, I mean, early on, like, yeah, I was kind of OK. I like to nitpick a lot.
1: Like I like to overanalyze some things, even when I really shouldn't. They were off to a great start. Yeah, you just want to be better because those one goal games, you get a little dicey. You don't want to fall into those bad patterns again like they played them before. But the fact that they're winning those games and not going to overtime like they did last year shows that maybe they are going in that right step. They are taking the next step further in playing solid defensive hockey, shutting down, doing the right things and and having better management with that puck. So, um, yeah, I, I... nothing to complain about right now. It's just you want, you want to see them be better. And that's, that's, that's any team
0: right now at this point. Yeah, I know absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think before we close out this, this episode, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention um, Vic Brackness, uh, an usher at the, uh, at the Rogers arena, um, a guy who worked for the Maple Leafs for almost 30 years uh he also worked for the Blue Jays during their World Series years, the Canadians through their dynasty. Um, a guy who was there opening the door to let these guys on the ice each and every game. Um just obviously he passed away. Uh and, and it's it's uh you know it's, it's it's a sad day for for the Maple Leafs organization and uh obviously his family as well. Um we we wish Vic's family all the best and uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully the boys can go out and get one for him. Yeah, I mean, he's the one that they, he's the
1: one, or the players always see him every single time they go on the ice. So he's there giving them fist bumps, let always opening the door, letting them go onto the ice. Um, that's it. it it's unfortunate. It's stuff that you really don't want to hear. I mean, it's it, it just adds. Not necessarily motivation, but it adds more meaning to this season. You had a legend in George Armstrong pass. You have someone that uh, played an integral role to get their success and even the other team success in the past, where you know they're the they're the first he's the first one that they see when they go on the ice. So, in addition to George Armstrong, you could bet that I'm pretty sure they're going to be playing for him every single every single game from here on out right now, because yeah, I mean the arena staff and people like him, they have an important role no matter what. And you can rest assured that they're going to, that he's going to be in their thoughts. They're going to go out and they're going to give 120% right now.
0: Yeah. And Lance, Lance Hornby of the uh, Toronto Sun had a great, uh, great piece come out about him. Uh, He was in his 81st year. Um, Obviously, you know, fans, uh, fans knew him. He was the guy who kind of stood in between fans and the players when, when they were all trying to fist pump them as they came off the ice um so he he's he's been you know countless photos of him have been circulating uh former players like Nazem Kadri also had some positive words to say about yeah. Vic um on top of that you know this is a guy who who was around in Montreal for the for the Richard Riot in 1955 he was around for 10 Stanley Cups with the with the Montreal Canadians uh and he was around for the for the two world series for the uh for the Toronto Blue Jays so um you know yeah, at one point, uh, he did he did mention in the New York Times that he was uh, possibly a good luck charm to the teams that he worked for, and and hopefully uh, it's something that um, you know they can uh, they can take with them, and and like you said, go along with the you know losing Armstrong, and maybe maybe t- use it as motivation for this season. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. With that, we are closing out episode 26 of the show. Um, I I do want to mention that, uh, you know, we appreciate everyone who tunes in week in and week out. We just hit a thousand downloads uh, through 25 episodes. Uh, So we appreciate you. We appreciate you and we appreciate you. Uh, This is tough times for everybody. um, But if we can give anybody just sort of any moment of, of just, you know, sitting back and enjoying some hockey talk, that's what we're here to do. And, uh, As always, continue to subscribe, continue to listen, continue to rate, review us, share with your friends. Hopefully, we can continue to produce some great content with some incredible guests uh, moving forward. And uh, yeah, look forward to another week of hockey and uh, go Leafs go. Go Leafs go. Who you got winning the Super Bowl? I'm going to go with KC. Sorry, Tom Brady, but I'm going KC. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I mean... First game I've watched was Tom Brady and the Pats. I've been a Pats fan all my life, but I, I, you got to give it to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They're the reigning champs. They've just looked absolutely great all season long. No slowdown to their game whatsoever. I'm, I'm going Chiefs. I'm going
0: Chiefs all the way. We're gonna call it the youthful, re- youthful revolution. Here we go. Absolutely, love it. All right folks. Thank you again for tuning in. And Peter, you have a great week. We will talk again next week when we record episode 27. Same to you, man. Have a good one.